vastness of everything, here I am, a soul, pondering my own existence. This is not your ultimate reality. This is temporary. So the idea that we can fix things for other people is just a folly. And all of a sudden, this insane maniac comes into the room. All I know is that it is amazing. Hello and welcome. So happy to be joined by Gauravani Das today. A little bit about Gauravani. He was raised from birth in temples in India and the U.S. by his Hare Krishna parents. He plays ancient Indian drums and sings in archaic languages like Sanskrit for the blue-skinned Lord Krishna. Now he's teaching his three children the same timeless art called Kirtan. And before we jump into a conversation, Gauravani has, uh, has offered to um, start us off with a, a mantra invocation. So thanks so much for taking the time to be with us today, and I'll hand it over to you. Thank you so much. A pleasure to be here. It's always nice to start with a, with a prayer because for me, at least, the, the, the prayer is pretty much always the same, which is, please let whatever comes out of my mouth be something more than my ego and my whatever drama I'm going through. Please let me actually be a representative of the highest truth uh, of, of my lineage, of the teachers, of the saints. So, all right. Shri Adrita 
particular mantra is calling for the presence of Sri Chaitanya and his uh, associates, his friends. There were five friends and they looked around the world and they saw the state of consciousness, the, the people oppressed, the lack of truth, the lack of honesty, fear, and they decided that this world needs one thing for certain, sacred song and sacred dance. And so they would go out into the street, the five of them singing and dancing together. And at the time, India was being ruled by the Mughals and it was punishable by death to sing Hindu songs in public, mantras in public. Any expression of anything other than Islam at the time was, was punishable by death. So they were taking their life in their hands each time they went out into the streets, but little by little, crowds gathered and soon hundreds turned into thousands, turned into millions, and soon India was being inundated 500 years ago by this revolution of sacred song. The last line of this mantra says, Jai Gora Bhakta Vrinda, it means blessed, blessed are all the singers and dancers in the party of Sri Chaitanya, and may we be among them. Jaya Gora Bhakta Vrinda Jaya Gora Bhakta Vrinda Jaya Gora Bhakta Vrinda The favorite song of Sri Chaitanya is a very well-known song today. Hare Krishna Hare Krishna 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 Hare Hare Hare
with you even though we have a time delay here Avi let's do this I'll sing and then you sing you ready for this Hare Krishna you sing Hare Krishna 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 Hare 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 Rama Hare Rama folks out there in podcast land when you when you get a chance sing loudly with this uh, mantra I'm gonna do it one last time Hare Krishna Hare Krishna Krishna feel more sacred i feel more sacred now (laughs) (laughs) no question about it (laughs) oh it's so powerful yeah it's true oh it's so powerful gosh yeah mantras mantras uh have this way of cutting through you know the fog you know just before we got on you know there was technical challenges right and uh there's so much stress that comes up around our ability or lack of ability to control anything in our lives i mean i don't know how you feel but that's how i feel totally i mean (laughs) i think really where the the challenge comes in for me is like even just to think that i can control (laughs) you know just just forgetting 
to let go. I don't know why I forget that I'm just on this ride. Like it's so, it's so obvious when I see it clearly that that's what's going on, that I'm on a ride, but I forget. Yeah. It's a, it's an important thing because, you know, we don't want to just sit around and do nothing and just space out. You know what I mean? That's not being yogic or spiritual to just do nothing, say nothing, think nothing, not activated, not helping, not serving, you know, just basically sitting around spacing out at the sky or something like that. You know, the yogic practice is meant to be like an activated pr process. So even if your senses are withdrawn, they're activated in that withdrawn state, they're focused, they're, you know, um, you know, searching, you know, yearning, crying for deepening, you know, so it's not like we can just do nothing, but then as soon as we get into the world and try and do something, we come up against the reality that we have so little control over anything, you know? It's a real dichotomy, I think, sometimes. Yeah. You know, <laughs> what I found more is that, like, by, like letting go to um, my lack of ability to really do very much at all, I can do a little bit more. <laughs> That's interesting. <laughs> Somehow, somehow it works like that. Like, you know, when I, when I really understand that I don't have any control, then maybe I gain a little bit more. Yeah. I wonder if it works that way. If you, if you, I think from, from my observation and from the lineage, you know, the teachings of the lineage of the Bhakti lineage that I, you know, try to practice, try to represent you know, the idea is that, you know, we are that same God substance. We are a part of God. But the problem is we're only a part. We're not the whole, you know, we're just a tiny part. So for a spark of fire to pretend to be the whole fire is foolish because as soon as it falls away from the from the fire, it just it just goes out in the in the damp darkness, you know. But the whole fire is generating any number of sparks. And so if we're in harmony with that source, the greater plan, then it seems that anything is possible because we're in alignment with the, the, the greater plan, the greater wisdom. And then it seems like everything is possible. Oh, my God, things are just like happening, like practically I'm not even doing anything. Right. <laughs> you know, uh, I was actually listening to a Ram Dass, uh talk recently, and, and he was uh, kind of referencing this idea of, of doing nothing to or, you know, what you're talking about. And he's like, that, that often like, that's the, the, the commentary on like, you know, letting go. Okay. You're like, you're going to do nothing. He's like, okay. And do nothing. Um, so I'm lying in bed. I'm doing nothing, doing nothing. <laughs> well, I'm hungry. <laughs> so I'm going to go to the fridge and get something to eat. Still doing nothing. <laughs> oh, I don't have any food. Well, I need to go get food. Okay, so I need to get a job and, and get some food. But I'm still doing nothing. <laughs> it's like this concept of doing nothing. If you, I mean, I've I've tried it. <laughs> I've tried to do nothing for some time. And uh, we're, we're uh, you know, I, I don't know. I'm interested in like, you know, if someone really wants to do nothing, like, like, go ahead. Like, go for it. Because then what comes out of that nothing, I think, ends up being something a doing that's much more pure than this like speedy doing 
without any kind of uh, connection, I think, with the fire, with the with the divine force. Right. Yeah, I, I, I think you bring up an important point, you know. I mean, Krishna says in Bhagavad Gita, um, people who sincerely do any sort of spiritual practice, ultimately, they're worshiping me, even if they don't know it, Krishna says. So, you, you know, you think you're doing this, you think you're doing that, but Krishna's saying, if there's some sincerity in what you do, ultimately, it's, it's an offering, and I'm receiving it. Because... You know, we're not these bodies, right? We're not these temporary existences. You know, I'm not an American musician with a family and kids living in Washington, D.C. This is just the structure of my body, you know, the, uh, the material uh, vessel, you know. But the real me is eternal. The real me is connected. So every single thing, as soon as we're kind of in alignment with that, it's like Krishna takes the reins like he did for Arjuna's chariot in the, in the Bhagavad Gita. He was driving Arjuna's chariot. So Arjuna's, you know, we, we kind of, Arjuna's like, like our, inter, you know, our, our representative in that story, you know. So we can try and manage it our own or we can just ask Krishna, please, you know better. Maybe you can take the reins here. And, you know, so, yeah, all the doing we think we're doing, we don't think we're doing, but ultimately, if we try even a little bit with a sincere heart to just offer it, whatever we're doing, whether we think we're doing nothing or think we're doing we're trying to offer it and say, I'm clueless, my thing is a mess, but I'm just trying my best to offer what I got. Um, then Krishna accepts it and suddenly we become like, being pulled by that higher force, by that consciousness towards good things, towards right things, you know, even, even people's, even people's, you know, mistakes get righted with, with a sincere heart. It's like, it's like, uh, you know, they're, they're protected, they're held somehow, you know. I think it, it goes back to what you said, you know, about the invocation and that they're all really you know, the same thing that allow this, whatever's going to come through me to not be ego, to be, to be the higher force, the higher wills. And I'm, I'm interested if you have anything to share for like how you do that. And also how you might be able to decipher like, okay, what's what I'm doing right now, what's coming through me. This is more in my ego versus this is more in connection uh, with with the divine source and energy. This is Krishna leading, leading my chariot. Mm -hmm. That's a good question, right? That's an important question. How do we, how do we perceive ourselves? How do we understand that what we're doing is of service and not just, you know, what, what a friend, a friend and a teacher, Ravindra Swaroop uh, Prabhu calls the God project. Everybody's on the God project. Like, you know, privately, quietly, what I really want is everyone to worship me as God, but I'm not going to tell anyone. I'm just going to try and set it up that way. You know, my little God project, you know? Yeah. I mean, the ego is a tricky thing, you know? Um, you know, in the Bhakti tradition, they have a differentiation. They, they kind of make a point between ego and false ego, which is an interesting, uh, terminology, false ego. In other words, that there is a self and that self is the true ego. So it's not that 
we're chasing the evaporation of ego. We're chasing the freedom from false ego to the awakening of the true ego, of the true self beyond the body, you know, beyond the mind, beyond even the material intelligence. You know, it's described sometimes like a coconut that you have the soul, the soul being the water inside the green coconut, this like, you know, juice, this nectar. And then outside of that, you've got the meat of the coconut. And then outside that, you know, so that's like, you know, the mind or something, you know, and then you've got, you know, or the, you know, you've got these layers, the mind, the false ego, and the intelligence that are also, and then of course the body, but you've got these things that are so closely connected that you almost can't tell the difference. Mm -hmm. Like they're all just coconut, but no, they're distinct. Like there's the, the brown shell that's just outside of the meat of the coconut, right? And then there's the, the actual shell, and then outside of that, there's all the husk and all, they're all the same thing and they're very hard to separate, but they're, they're different. You know, so, so I, I, for me, I, I, one thing I've been thinking about lately, I've been doing, I've been really trying to focus on my, my, my mala japa chanting practice, rising before the sun and chanting in the, in the pre-dawn hour. It's called Brahma Mahurta. It's like, it's like supposedly like, you know, if you imagine like the best, most kind, organic, sweet, like whatever killer you know, nutritious food stuff. So of the time of day, Brahma Mahorta, the one hour before sunrise is considered that, like the absolute primo kind, best possible nutritious food for the self. So in the Brahma Mahorta, it's a great time to chant. So I've been, I've been trying to, you know, focus on my mala and, and I, you know, I'm just listening, chanting Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, trying to hear the mantra, invite the mantra in. And all of a sudden, this insane maniac comes into the room. Like, who the hell is this guy? You know, do this, do that, call this guy. What's on the internet? What's this guy? What, whatever happened to that story? It's like, who is this person? It's not me. You know, that's the mind. And it's like, the mind is so impressionable and it's catching, it's like catching all this energy from all the places. Like, sometimes I, I'll just sit in there and I'll hear, the heartbeat of America, that's today's Chevrolet. It's like, <laughs> why is that in my mind? Like, I don't even own a Chevrolet. Like, what is, what, why is that in my mind? My mind is holding on to this song. Instead of mantras, my mind somehow or other has made space for this. So sometimes it's cool when you're doing mantra practice, especially Japa, you just chant and you watch the mind and you just say, brother. Please, just let it go. Come back to the mantra. Let's just dwell in the mantra. So that's one time that I'm able to see, like, this is my mind. You know, usually for me, the false ego comes with a little bit of envy or like some negative quality. Like I hear a chatter or something and I'm like, yeah, that's not me. That's not me. You know, that negative energy. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. Do you have Do you have a mantra practice? Do you do a mantra practice? I do. Yeah, yeah. I, do. I don't know I do. if I don't know if in your tradition you're allowed to share your mantra practice, but but yeah. can you share about your mantra practice? Yeah. I, well, 
I have more of the traditional side, but I'll share about more of my own like personal side because I love making practices my own. Oh, nice. That's Great. So important me to me. So it's like, I love following tradition, but then also like, like adjusting. Yeah. Pouring your heart into right. it. That's yeah. most effective for me. I, I personally need to do that and have the freedom nice. to do that. And I appreciate that my tradition allows me to do that too. For um, sure. Uh, so, you know, I mean, in a way silence is my mantra. So it's like, mm going back to like nothing, right? Just like the word nothing. So like when, when, when my mind is going and I'm, I'm witnessing these things, it's like my, my allegiance is what I call it. Like mantra to me is like associated with the word allegiance. So like during this practice, like my allegiance is, is to nothing, you know? And the other one I'll share too is, is, is just loving awareness. So I am loving awareness. I am loving awareness mm. and, 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 and just coming back to it. Um, but you know, you made me think of, of, of just this, like this yearning and desire that I have to not take myself and more importantly, not like the little self, I guess. And, uh, the mind, you know, too seriously. It's like, cause mm-hmm. those moments that happens where like the Chevrolet commercial comes on you know, <laughs> in my mind or whatever, the thoughts the judgmental, like spinning the things it's like, just to just like witness really just to witness it and just be interested and not to be attached to it and what it means about me. Right. Cause that's when it gets like, so sticky. It's just like, Oh man, like I'm doing badly. I'm not doing my practice. Right. What does this mean about me? It's like, I have mm. such a desire to just like have that all go and, mm. and to experience this life with more lightness. Mm. Beautiful. My teacher, Radhanath Swami, who wrote a beautiful book called The Journey Home. I don't know if you've had a chance to read that book. It's a great, it's about his story as a young man traveling across Europe and the Middle East and India. Um, but he, he says something, I've heard him say it so many times, you know, he says that, you know, humility, which is encouraged so much in so many spiritual traditions, humility you know, it doesn't mean thinking less of yourself, like, you know, like being like guilt ridden or down on yourself or, you know, disrespecting yourself or, you know, um, uh, you know, having this kind of feeling of, of like worthlessness or something like that. But humility is thinking of yourself less. Mm. You know, so it's like, it's funny because uh, when we're caught up in serving others and, and exchanging love and giving love and receiving love, um, I'm preparing for my wife's 40th birthday party and I found a quote, um, you know, uh, let me pull it up. I don't want to get it wrong. It's a quote by this guy, George Sand, um, probably a super famous quote, but I I just kind of found it. Um, there is only one happiness in this life to love and be loved. You know, and, and it, what I like about that quote is it also works on a spiritual level because really love, you know, the action of love, of loving is the activity of the soul. You know, that's what, that's what we're doing, you know. We're trying to find ways to remove the obstacles for ourselves to receive love and ourselves to offer love. You know, Um, while I'm on it, there's another great little quote. This is really short quote. There's a short quote by Rumi that I also found, which was cool. 
love is the whole thing. We are only pieces. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I thought that was cool. <laughs> uh, yeah. What were you going to say? I was going to ask if, if, if for you, like feeling love, connecting with love, being love, if this is something that you've been practicing and have you noticed that maybe through practicing um, it's, it's gotten easier to go to that place. Maybe like when you become more of that peace, right. Mm -hmm. To then come back to the whole wholeness of love. I'll tell you, I'll tell you what I'm actually going through right now. I'm realizing how far I have to go. But not in a way that I'm down on myself, in a way that's opening possibilities for me to to grow and to expand. You know, one gift that I've been given in my life is music. Now, um, the technique that I was playing on the guitar today is an open tuning technique. That's brand new to me. And so I'm making lots of mistakes. And uh, it's interesting for me cool for me to witness myself on a new instrument the guitar I play guitar a fair amount but this technique is new and I'm making mistakes and at the same time because I've done music for so long in my life I have a, a, a sense of ease a sense of 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 at homeness in music that even if I make a mistake I just go next time I'll get it like, it's all right that I didn't get it this time because I'm working on it. And next time I'll get it. And if not next time, I'll get it the time after that or the time after that. So there's this easefulness about it. It's like, well, that was a stinker. Boy, I hit the wrong note there. But I, I don't beat myself up about it because what are you going to do? The music's gone. The water has flowed. It's out. It's gone. So the reason why I say that is in my life, it's been a great blessing to be able to compare other things that I'm striving for in my life to music. And to be able to say, like, do I have a spaciousness here in my mantra practice that I have in music? You know, and one area that I'm finding that I don't is my I have I have basically three teenagers now in the house. So when they were little, they were cute. They were loving. They gave lots of hugs and kisses. And now it's like they're just teenagers, you know. And I'm watching myself realizing, wow, I don't have the spaciousness in parenting that I have in music. And, and how do I invite that in? That love in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of challenge, in the midst of disagreement. That's my edge right now that I'm working on as far as the edge of love. Oh, thanks <laughs> for saying that. Yeah, resonates strongly with me. I only I have a little one still. She's she's uh, two, but even 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 there, it's like it's like I yeah I I think that there's a lot of times where I'm not sure if I just did the right thing or, yeah. or the best thing I could do. Yeah. Um, and uh, there's a great book. There's a great book. I know this is not what we're talking about, but there's a great book that's old. It's been published like republished like thirty times or something like that. It's called How to Talk So Kids Will Listen. And how to listen so kids will talk. Have you ever heard of this book? No. It really was a game changer for me, and I'm I'm re- reading it again for the second time. I highly recommend the book to conscious parents trying to be conscious parents. What's is there like like um, one piece that comes to mind for you that like you've really like a gem that you've really taken from it? Sure. Well, it's really about listening, right? So 
the idea of listening fully and allowing that reality to exist without trying to control it, but just kind of like holding space for someone else's reality. It's one of the reasons why this book is also used for people like not kid, like communication stuff is like to be able to create a vessel that says like, okay, wow, I don't even, let's not even worry about if I agree or disagree with you. Let me just create a vessel here to fully hear your experience in this thing without even the dialogue of judgment on it. Like, okay, I'm not even saying that I agree. So it's not like I'm not like I'm being disingenuous or something. It's just like, oh, so you feel this. And, and, and because of this, it makes you want this. And, you know, you know, wow, like that's fascinating. I wish I was able to give that to you. Like, uh, you know, so it's, it's all about listening. It's a powerful, it's a powerful thing. I know we all heard that a million times. I know, but you know, it's a great book. Highly recommend it. Yeah. Thank you. Um, yeah, I want to talk to you more about, about parenting and spirituality and like what, what even your children's re- relationship with, um, I've seen some videos that you've done like alongside, you know, Kirtan with, with your girl, you have three girls. Is that right? I have two girls, uh, two girls and a boy. My son is the, my, my youngest is my son. He's a drummer. Mm. And, uh, yeah. And then I have, uh, so a 12-year-old, a 15-year-old, and a 17-year-old. Mm. Yeah. So are they into it? Are they like into spirituality or is it not cool for them? Or have you, have you observed them kind of going through phases? Both, all, all of the above. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. Yeah. I mean, I, see, I was raised like, like in my bio, I was raised by Hare Krishna parents. And my, my parents' generation was really strict. They were really old school and like they were the generation that converted to a new religious practice. And so it was like not a joke for them or like, you know, they they didn't want to be distracted. You know, they really wanted to achieve some spiritual, you know, you know, advancement or enlightenment. And then they had these kids, you know, and we were just like completely off the wall, you know. Um, so I really tried not to beat my kids over the head with spirituality, but as a parent, you know, you do have to give what you value. You know, you can't just be like, I know nothing. I say nothing. I believe nothing. Do whatever you want. Like that's not parenting. You got to come in with an angle like you got to say, like, in my opinion, this would be the thing to do here. You know what I mean? Like, there's got to be some of that. You know what I mean? Like, you can't just kids are they'll be feral. You know, like you can't just, you know, the kids like eat off the floor and find like, you know, you know, they, they, they need food. They need nutrition. They need health. They need love. They need to go to sleep. Like there's structure that's required in parenting, which is very true for spiritual life. Also, it's not that, you know. You know, you can just do whatever you want. There's a structure and that structure creates strength and and stability and longevity in a spiritual practice. So I'm really walking that line. I, I don't know. I'm hoping that I'm doing the right thing, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure. They, they do kirtan and I'm very grateful for that. And they're very good at it. And I sometimes even hear them doing it with their friends without me. Mm. 
which is cool. Mm. <clears throat> yeah, but I pray, you know, um, I know that when I was going through my kind of most dismal period as a teenager, my mom did a lot of praying for divine intervention. When, when you say prayer, do you, do you mean like when your, your mantra practice or kirtan or a di another kind of prayer too? Another also. So yes, yes, japa meditation, yes, kirtan, but also just really like, um, one of my teenagers slamming the door. I don't know if you can hear that back there. <laughs> um, just saying to Krishna, you know, Krishna, you are my dearest friend and I'm trying to reestablish, reawaken my eternal relationship with you. And this child who, you know, I call my son, who is really just a soul who has been gifted by you for me to try and care for is out to lunch. You know, what am I supposed to do? You have to intercede now because it's beyond my ability to do anything. I've done what I know how to do. So now please, you you take him and you make him your child, you know? I like, I write songs in English. I like, I like trying to pray in English. You know, I like also praying in Sanskrit and Bengali and, you know, Gurbani and other traditions, you know, Spanish. I like, I like praying in native tongues, but I also like praying in, in my own native tongue, in English. You know, because there's something about it that makes me more like attentive. Like, do I mean, is that what I mean? What exactly do I mean? You know, and not that God doesn't know better than I do already what I mean, but the point is like the prayer is really for me, like we talked about at the beginning, for me to become in alignment, for the spark to return to the fire, the spark being me. Like that's what the prayer is for. It's like, help me see how you want me to do this. You know, inspire me to do this in alignment with your plan. That, that resonates with me so much that yeah, I've heard, you know, Swami Satchidananda say, um, you know, the highest prayer is that is exactly what you just said, I think. Mm. Um, that <laughs> I, I don't know what's best for me. You know right. what's best for me. Right. You know, so that's it. I give it to you. Beautiful. Yeah, beautiful. I mean, there's so many analogies for this material world that we dwell in, the world of computer crashes and, you know, wars and, you know, memes and social media and politics and all this stuff, you know. And one of the analogies is like an insane asylum, you know. Sometimes I'll say a jail, you know, but you've got a bunch of people who, because of the nature of our desires and our heart, God has facilitated us by giving us this space. Have you ever heard the term rumspringa? No. So this is like talking about this is connecting with parenting. That's so rum, rumspringa is a is a is an Amish thing, another spiritual community dealing with their young people, hmm. and the Amish community. I think when you turn seventeen, I want to say something like that. 
you go into what's called Rumspringa, which is, I think it means like the devil's playground kind of thing. Like, and you can just do your thing. You don't have to follow the rules of the community. You can kind of just like be on the outside. Everyone gives you your space to do whatever you're going to do. And you have a certain amount of time where you can work this stuff out. Then you have to at some point choose, am I part of the community or am I not part of the community? You know? Um, so in that sense, this material world is like that. It's rumspringa for all of us souls, you know? And uh, some of us are on the way down, some of us are on the way up, but we're all kind of banging around in this kind of like, you know, uh, roller derby, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, and, and some of us, we've forgotten, we've forgotten that there's anything other than this, you know. So in that sense, it is like an insane asylum. It's a place for people who they just, you know, they can't figure out how to function in society. So there's like a place that allows them to be held in the midst of this kind of freak out, you know, and that's, that's where a lot of us are at right now, you know? So it, is that a, 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 a valuable intention to maybe make the insane, insane asylum just a little bit more sane, you know, and maybe I can just do that with myself because, okay, if I'm insane, if I just work towards, a little bit more sanity. Is that purpose for my life? Is that enough of a, a of an well, intention? This is a good question. I mean, I actually, you know, uh, I, I love this question um, because certainly we have to try and make our life better. You know, we can't just say, ah, oh, this place is crazy and it's all screwed up. And so who cares? Just screw, the whole thing is screwed up. You know, you know. I'll do nothing. Ah, you know, I don't want to, you know, I'm just going to lay here in bed or whatever. Right. Um, I might go to the fridge, but like, um, certainly as we become in control of our senses, right. In control of our senses, we, we want to make the world, we want to make the life of the people in this insane place better also. And what starts to happen is through the process of service, we become in control of our own set. We realize, hey, this guy needs a hand. I also need a hand. And, you know, she needs a hand. Like, we can cooperate and, and be kind to each other. And what happens is the mind, the heart, the, the spiritual heart begins to remember, wait, 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 this is not where I belong, you know? So the process of finding our senses and serving and the process of kindness and gratitude and offering love and all these things, not only does it make the insane asylum better, but it also is what's required for those, what, the, what in the Vedas they call the, the devatas, the demigods, the divine entities that govern, you know, this, this world and, and this material universe to say, let's Let's lift him up out of this. He, he's, he's ready to move out of this space. Let's give him, you know, more freedom, more ability. Like he's gaining control of his senses. He's coming back into his true identity, his true self. You know, that's, that's the sign of the awakening is to recognize like, I'm not God. I'm not the center of this insane asylum. I'm just a person struggling with all these other people, let me help serve. Let me try and make this a better place. And in the process, inviting that consciousness, you know, that reawakening to who we really are. You know, there, you know, at some point it's like you go to the, you go to your counselor at the insane asylum and you say, can I talk to you? 
I think maybe I haven't always been here. I think maybe there's a world outside of the insane asylum. And your counselor says, yes, you know, your name is Avi. And you actually come from your family. And you're just like, whoa, like your mind's like, like what? This isn't my reality. You know, those are the gurus. Those are the teachers. They say, no, what you're feeling is right. This is not your ultimate reality. This is temporary. This is to protect you because you went through a very traumatic thing. Like here's, and here's what you need to go back. These people love you. They want to see you. They want you in their lives. You know? (laughs) Anyway, that's the analogy I've been thinking of. Do we have to wait? Do we have to wait until death? <laughs> or can it happen now? <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think we do. I think I think all the bars on, on this jail cell are really being created by us. You know, and I think we're attached to the false ego. We're attached <laughs> to we're attached to, you know, what we think sh- things should be, how we want things, and so those things are kind of co-created by us with, of course, God's facilitation. We have the power to end the thing. But the question is, how? You know, how do we get there? What I see is is one of the, the biggest challenges, uh, obstructions towards getting there, is is the amount that we're influenced by by other people. Mm. Uh, like we're, we're, we are social beings. This is, this is how I feel. We're very much social beings and what Certainly. people are doing around me is going to influence me. I mean, that's what let that realization is what led me to live at the ashram. For sure. Yeah. Once I saw that, I was like, really, I'm going to be influenced by whoever I'm around. Therefore put myself in the best environment I could possibly do. Um, but so during this understanding that, and then realizing that during this time, like, it seems that so few other humans that are surrounding us are taking on the attitude of, of, of maybe some of the things we're talking about of, of, of letting it go to God, not being stuck up in the mind, not being in this other kind of ego place, uh, trying to control all of that. It's like, I don't think many of us have examples of human beings that maybe have gone to that desk and said, um, I can come out of the insane, like living in the insane asylum, but not being insane anymore. Right. Like we don't have a lot of examples that, so therefore that makes me consider that like in this point of time, perhaps in order to, to create the shift really requires some leadership, which is, is, is in a different kind of leadership, like just a leadership of the self to, um, so I, I, I don't know. I just, but that, that's what I see a little bit. And that, that gives me some purpose too. like, okay. Like that's what the time is, is requiring this uncomfortableness because it's so uncomfortable to have a different set of priorities than all the people around you and be living totally. in life. It's, it feels lonely. It's frustrating. It's confusing, totally. all that. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, Everything you said is right. Everything you said is true. I feel uh, like one important piece to answer that is this question of where we place our faith. Because 
we have to have faith. Um, that there is a higher consciousness to this reality. And that if we are in alignment with that higher consciousness, then we are moving ourselves and our communities and our families and our countries and ultimately the world and ultimately the universe in the right direction. And if we can't have that, if we don't have that faith, we will ultimately be very lonely and desperate. You know, there's a quote by Einstein. Um, it's, a, it's a bit of a long quote. I don't want to read the whole thing. But he says, the most important question you can ever ask is if the world is a friendly place. Mm. And then he talks about how, you know, what happens if we decide that the universe is an unfriendly place, like where that takes our consciousness. And then he talks about if we decide that the universe is neither friendly nor unfriendly, it's just kind of like, you know, um, uh, like, you know, playing dice, random. God's just playing dice with you. None of it matters. It's just whatever, random chaos. And what that does. And then here's the last part. But if we decide that the universe is a friendly place, this is Einstein, right? Like the father of like, you know, uh, you know, modern atomic science. Then we will use all our technology, our scientific discoveries, and our natural resources to create tools and mo models for understanding that universe. Because power and safety will come through understanding its workings and its motives. So what I get from that is he's saying, if we can have faith that there is a consciousness surrounding us and that we are, can be in harmony with that, then these challenges, they become not insurmountable. They become part of the lesson, like part of the wisdom. Like this is taking us somewhere. This is important for us. Like, you know, these challenges are like, oh, interesting. What have I learned from this? How have I grown from this? You know, and ultimately, just to touch on this one point, because it's so important that you made. Yes, we only have any level of control, if at all, over our own heart our own intentions, our own aspirations, our own desires. And one of the things that I've been thinking about recently is instead of pushing those out to others, how come this guy didn't do this? Why did that guy say this? How come those people never do this? It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. What am I doing? Have I been able to rise above that? Have I started to speak in love? Have I started to be grounded and kind and thoughtful? Have I taken criticism out of my lexicon? Am I looking to help others and not hurt? Like all the things I wish for others to do in the world. Am I living up to that standard? Not with guilt or anxiety, but just honesty, like humility. Like, am I able to do that? And if not, what can I do to up the ante? And like, let me move it to the next level myself. I love this so much. I love it so much. And I think the point that, that even I hear Einstein making too, is to ask the question, what effect does this have on me? Hmm. Right? Like what effect does it have on me to see it as a, a good uh, benevolent universe? What effect to, to a bad universe to accommodate? What effect? Because why? 
because the most important thing is for me to focus on me. Why? Because that's what we need for, for, for everyone. Right. And what you're, what I hear you saying is that this, this habit, this tendency to be so focused on what everyone else is doing and what's wrong outside of myself, that is if there's anything that's maybe wrong, that's the thing that's wrong the most, right? That's leading to all of these things that don't really look good for us is human beings not taking the time to go inside and really investing, you know, because I think maybe it has to do with the fact that like going back to like the ember analogy, like we're just a little mm-hmm. ember of the fire. And so then, but we can see the fire too. So we can see more of the fire. So does it really, it's not as um, maybe enticing of a game to just focus only on my little, my little ember. I want to be in the big game, but being in the big game and focusing on that is actually, you know, detracting from the quality of the big game. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I do feel that um, our awareness of our limitations is part of the honest dialogue with the, with the universe, with Krishna to say like, my son is now a teenager. It's outside of my ability to control. Now, please, you give me the intelligence to see what to do, how to do what you want me to do, you know? Um, There's a prayer that my mom told, maybe she would chant this, I don't know. It's a prayer written by a saint named Bhaktivinoda Thakur, who was interesting because he lived in a very challenging time. He was, a court magistrate, which means like basically the highest level you could get to in the 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 um, British Raj when they were in India of a native person. You know, they wouldn't promote them beyond a certain point because there was like racism and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. So he was the highest level of possible promotion in the judiciary for a native person. And he would write sacred poetry at night and he would pray and he would pray in English and he would pray in Bengali and Sanskrit because he had been educated at these British schools. Like he was like fully well-rounded. And this beautiful prayer, it says, my dear Lord Krishna, although I've forgotten you for so many long years in this material world from today, I am a soul surrendered unto you. I'm trying to be your sincere and serious servant Please engage me in your service. From this day, I am yours. From this day, I'm yours. You know, I think I think t- t- there's an important point that you're touching on, and, and, you know, I would like to highlight it. We don't have control over others. It's not that there's something we could do to gain control over others. We don't have control. We barely have control over our own heart. So the idea that we can fix things for other people is just a folly. All we can do is be an instrument of God's grace, starting with our own lives. And let God do God's work through us. We cannot fix the world's problems. We can't, we can't fix our own problems. You know, so it is a folly, you know? We can, 
only do our, our little part and, 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 and back to the faith and thinking about the effect of what is the effect of a human being having faith? How do they operate in the world, right? Outside of all religions or anything, anything so interesting to me is like, how does a human being move through the world that has total faith that sees the unfoldment is perfection that surrenders to the, to everything being beyond that person. How does that human being move through the world? And to me, that human being moves through the world really, really well. (laughs) And the world might be a better place if, I mean, who am I not to trust? Who am I to doubt? Right. Like that's where the ego gets such. I am not in control of the universe. Right. Like who am I to think I know what is best and what, what, you know, there's a, you know, cogito ergo sum. I think therefore I am cogito ergo sum. That's that, you know, I think it's Descartes famous philosophical kind of like examination. How do I know I exist? Because I can observe myself thinking. Do I exist? I think. Therefore, I am right. That's how I know that I'm actually a thing. I am a person like because I can observe myself wondering if I'm a person. Right. Mm. So it's like so there's a from the bhakti tradition. There's another way of seeing that the fact that here I am observing myself. And yet I'm held in a space that is beyond my ability to grasp. I, there's a universe outside of myself that I have no freaking clue how it works or what's going on. That means that I am being beheld by another higher consciousness that is observing me. Mm. Right? That that higher observer is just like cogito ergo sum, the other way backwards now. Something beyond me is holding me. Therefore, something greater than me exists. So like you're saying, faith, you know, (laughs) there's this movie called Dr. Strange. Mm. It was like a a comic book movie. It came out a few years ago. A guy in a cape, Benedict Cumberbatch. Yeah, yeah, Marvel. Yeah. So he goes to the Himalayas and meets his guru. Did you see the movie? Yeah, yeah. So I was going through a really kind of like dismal period. Like, what do I want to say? Like dry and just not um, not feeling awakened and nourished by my spiritual practice at this time when this movie came out. And I just remember going to the movie and I, I was traveling a lot at the time and traveling as a musician takes a lot out of you, you know, just energetically, it's hard. So I just remember I was sitting there in the movie theater watching this movie and um, there comes the scene where he gets like the initiation from his like you know, and his, his bald white Himalayan guru. And, uh, and <laughs> he, I guess, has this vision. I don't know if you remember the scene, but it's worth checking out. Like, it's like, you know, descriptions of, of the, of the Vishwarupa, the, the, the universal form in the Bhagavad Gita is like mouths and heads and eyes and things devouring themselves and universal patterns. And this is like super wild, like, you know, 3D, like imagination of the universe in some kind of wild artistic way. And I was just watching that. And I just thought this vast, like mind boggling, presentation came out of an one artist's or a group of artists mind. Mm. 
And I thought, how vast is existence if this insane thing came out of one guy's brain? Think about how much more vast everything is than this little moment that I'm witnessing. And in that moment, I thought, and in the vastness of everything, here I am, a soul pondering my own existence. And then I thought, the fact that I exist is such a frickin' miracle. In, in the vastness of everything, the fact that somehow or other, I'm here thinking about consciousness in the vastness of everything, that is an incredible miracle. And then I thought, and if I can exist, who the hell am I to say that God can't exist? You know, I exist? What? Like, you know, you know, dust, space dust, some, like, what, what the heck am I? And I exist? Who am I to, to, to say any, what doesn't exist? This one teacher, he's a, he's a black belt in Okinawan karate. He's, a, he's also a, a Vaishnava sannyasin, like a renunciant in, in our community, in the Christian community. His name is Hanumat Preshak Swami. He says, some people see pictures of Durga, you know, and, and Vishnu and Narasimha and Lord Shiva and all these personalities with these arms and heads and eyes. And they think, really? Like, really, does that exist? He says, look, all I have to say to you is a dog can smell 10 million times more than you. Mm. Can you even imagine what smelling 10 million times what you can smell is like? No, we th there's so much out there. We're just so myopic. <laughs> That's why I feel that, you know, based on everything you're saying, <laughs> essentially, like, celebration and gratitude is appropriate. Those are the word that appropriates the word that comes to me too. It's like this situation. All I know is that it is amazing. It's amazing. And it deserves it's a blessing. It's a it's gift. Amazing. Yeah. It's a gift. We should gratitude, gratitude. You know, that's what Kirtan is, is the expression of gratitude, you know, in song and in dance, you know, just crying out the name of our beloved in whatever language you want, whatever language you choose, all the languages, any language, you know, you know, oh, Krishna, oh, Radha, you know, thank you and, and bless me and help me and protect me. And I'm here for you. You know, from this day, I am yours. Because what other response is there for all the gifts that we have been given? That's it. That's the only response. <laughs> uh should I sing another too. song? Should I do a little? Yeah, should I do that's a little? What I was gonna say, but before that, I would just wanted to to ask if you can share if people would like to um, see more content from you. I know you have a Patreon. I would love to tell folks. That would be great. Thank you so much. Yeah. So uh, for those who don't know, Patreon is a platform that helps artists and uh, and other uh, teachers, other creative people, to connect with their their people out there. And in the old days, we would find a king or, a, you know, you know, uh, some sort of royalty or something who would be like, I love what you do. Let me be your patron. But, you know, in these days, you know, it's uh, it's hard to, to find that patronage. So Patreon allows folks like me to connect with people as individuals and get the support and encouragement. 
And what I do is I put everything that I do on Patreon. I'm, you know, I'm trying to talk with everyone, putting videos, sharing songs and music and whatever I can up on Patreon so that people can get in touch with me. We can, we can, you know, know what's going on, new music opportunities. So that's patreon.com slash Gauravani and, uh, G-A-U-R-A-V-A-N-I. And um, yeah, I, I, I'm so grateful for, for anyone and everyone who would be willing to become a patron. I'll put that in the show notes too, of course. Thanks. And, um, is that, are you finding that to work, that setup to work pretty, pretty well for you? Do you like that setup? Uh, it's all right, you know, it's all right. I mean, you know, what's cool about it is it was designed by an artist, mm-hmm. you know? So, um, so it's a little artist friendly in the sense that they're trying to think of how to, you know, but, um, you know, uh, we, we, you know, uh, we're, it's all a work in progress. Learning, yeah. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much, brother. And thanks everyone for listening. And uh, we'll, we'll finish with the, with the music, with the beautiful music. Love it. Nice. So I'll sing, I'll sing us out here. Yep. Yeah, well, thank you. You know, talking with you has been tons of fun, and you're, uh, you know, uh, you're a cool guy, and you're you got great ideas and great questions, and you know, I hope that whatever we spoke about in some way was uh, was a blessing for you and for the community on your podcast. I can say it's totally a blessing for me. Um, yeah. Yeah, I love it. I love doing this. It lights me up. Yeah, we had some technical issues in the beginning. It was really kind of throwing me off. And I appreciated you right away. You were just like, well, we're not in control. Like, yep. Well, you know, what's cool about that is it it, it gives us a, a topic. We didn't know what we were going to talk about. And then we knew exactly what we were going to talk about. Not being in control. That was perfect. You know, there's a there's an example. We tr- we're trying to be receptive. We're trying to be humble. We're trying to be in the mood of service. And a challenge became a gift. Suddenly, it went from being an embarrassment to being, oh, great. This is a subject that's so important that we get to share about. What a blessing. That's it. I mean, that's what I'm working. You're talking about, like, seeing more work that you have to do. It's like, for me, the work is really seeing the challenges and the suffering as opportunities. It's like mentally I can understand it, but to really believe that, that's what I'm working on. Totally. Totally. And to find that spaciousness.
for listening. If you've enjoyed this content and think others might as well, please feel free to share and subscribe.